This is very, very important. This tells us that giving to missions releases God's financial and material blessings and spiritual blessings upon the church and upon the members within the church that get involved. Would you open your Bible, please, to the book of Philippians, chapter 4. Philippians, chapter 4. I'm not sure if you saw in the news, but a week ago, um, the scientific world was all abuzz with the exciting news that they've discovered a new world right below us in the Antarctic, beneath all of the the frozen ice and barrenness there, they've discovered a new world. This was in the news. Um, do we have that picture? Here we go. This is a published picture they, they, they gave us. And this is the Antarctic. This is the ice that's sitting on top of it. And that's what's underneath it. This just came out in the news. And wow, I thought... There's another example. I think that would have come, say, from the days of Noah's flood. And the whole world changed. Climate changed. And uh, ice came down and so on. One of the scientists said, it's been hiding there in plain sight. So the researchers used satellite imaging uh, to trace out the valleys and ridges. They combined it with radio echo sounding data and an image emerged of a river-carved landscape of plunging hills and sharply peaked, uh, sorry, plunging valleys and sharply peaked hills, very similar to what we see here on Earth. They found it underneath the snow and ice in the Antarctic. It's approximately 12,000 square miles. They say that it was once home to trees and forests and probably animals as well. This vast landscape has been there for thousands of years and no one knew it. Isn't that interesting? You can put that picture away. Thank you. I suggest to you that similarly, there is a vast world of blessing that God has for any Christian man or woman who will venture out by faith and start supporting gospel preaching missionaries. As I grew up, my idea of missions was partly shaped by Hollywood. That idea of someone in the little helmet with the machete going through uh, the jungles of Africa, perhaps. And that was my whole concept of what a missionary was. I soon came to change my tune as I started learning about what God has to say about missions. This is why it's so important for us to attend the conference. The conference will raise your level of understanding and give you new insights into this. It's incredible. It's like discovering a whole new world. For many Christians, they say, well, there's the church and then there's missionaries and it's kind of a little add-on and they're just kind of there and we sort of help support them. Folks, all you're seeing is the barren wilderness of of ice and snow. You're not seeing what's beneath that. There is an incredible world of excitement and blessing. And today I want to show you how a Faith Promise Conference can benefit you. And it's very similar to a whole world of blessing that's hidden below, hidden beneath the ice, waiting to be discovered. Now with that in mind, let's have a word of prayer before we go any further. Our loving Heavenly Father, again, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher today as we examine what you have to say in the Scriptures. Open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to plumb some depths and to see what's beneath the ice. Help us to see the excitement, the whole world of blessing that's available when we, by faith, get involved supporting Faith Promise missions. Lord, speak with our hearts today in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, I suggest to you that supporting missionaries is one of the most important and exciting things that you and I can get involved with. And that's why every year we have a Faith Promise Conference. We put a lot of time and energy and talent and some money and everything in there. We try and bring in missionaries and guest speakers and so on. 
And each year we do this because it's important that we do it each year. But there are two basic overall things that a faith promise conference should do and will do for you. Now the conference starts on Wednesday night. It goes Wednesday night, Thursday night, Friday night. Then Saturday afternoon, we have a international buffet. And we have five tables and a whole bunch of church volunteers that are going to be doing some dressing up from different countries, providing food from those different countries. And we're going to be learning about those different countries. It's at four o'clock on Saturday. And then on Sunday, one week today, is our big Faith Promise Sunday. And we'll be able to hand in our cards and total things up and see what we can do for the Lord this year in the way of missions. But there are two basic overall things that the conference should do for for all of us. Number one is to give us instruction and understanding as to what it's all about. Please don't think that you know it all because I can guarantee you, you don't know it all. You don't. I don't think there's any human on earth that knows it all when it comes to this exciting subject. It's deeper than you think. So number one is to give us instruction and, and understanding. And number two, and listen carefully, and I'm going to touch on both of these today, but number two it will release God's blessings upon you as you get involved. And I'll explain more about that in just a wee bit. But if what I'm saying is true, then folks, listen to me. This time of year and this conference, these meetings are probably the most important meetings we can be involved with. I love Christmas with all my heart. I love Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. They're very precious to me, both these wonderful times of year. But this overshadows both those. Once you understand it, you will agree that the emphasis, the teaching, the instruction, and the resultant blessing from faith promise is, when you stand back, far, far more important than our celebration of Christmas or our celebration of his resurrection. Well, you have your Bible open in Philippians chapter 4, and the verses that we read just a few moments ago explain for us in greater detail what this is about. Now, this letter was given to the church at Philippi. The Apostle Paul was led there on one of his missionary journeys. God supernaturally led him to the city of Philippi, where he met a, uh, a lady named Lydia, and she was uh, a seller of purple. She was a business lady, and they were having a prayer meeting. They didn't know the Lord, but they, they wanted to. They were reaching out to God. Uh, there's a lot of people like that. They don't know the Lord personally on a first name basis. Let's put it that way. They've never received Christ as Savior, but they're trying to reach out, and they're doing it by going to church services by praying, reading the Bible, and this is all good. And at the right time, the missionary, the Apostle Paul, came along and filled in the blanks, and Lydia received Christ as her Savior. And then later, in that, uh, that same context, the Apostle Paul uh, and his buddy were thrown into prison for preaching the gospel. But God was in it. He knew what he was doing, because in that prison there was a man, a jailer, we don't know his name, we know the name of Lydia. I wonder if the jailer's name was Tim. Probably not. But anyhow, the jailer came to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior. And then more people came to know Christ as Savior. And this church was started in Philippi. And then later Paul wrote this letter to that church. And that's why it's called Philippians. And so here in chapter 4, the Apostle Paul is going into some greater detail explaining what this missions giving uh, is, in, is all about. And there are at least four specific things that missions, if you get involved, if you get educated and get involved, there's four specific things that it'll do for you. And number one is it produces good works. And we can see that uh, looking at verse 17 and verse 9. Look at verse 17. Paul wrote, now this is the, the church that was giving money to support the Apostle Paul. So he writes and he says, not because I desire a gift, 
but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. So every church and every Christian within the church has an account, if you will, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll see a bit more about that in just a second. But if you go back to verse 9, the apostle wrote in verse 9, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. So verse 9, he's talking about good works. Good works. Good works do not get us to heaven. No one can ever get their sins forgiven by doing good works. That's a common theme you'll see in movies or you'll hear in some churches. But it is not biblical truth. God does not forgive sins by having people do good works. God forgives sins as a free gift. And it's based upon what Jesus did for you and for me upon the cross of Calvary. Because of what Jesus did, God is able to forgive sins. And this is true in the Old Testament and the New Testament times. Jesus is the Messiah, the anointed one sent from heaven. Jesus is God, a very God, and he could only do what we can't do. He only could do it. In the Old Testament, they looked forward to a coming Messiah. Here in the New Testament and the modern times, we look back to a Messiah who's already come. But the central figure in all of earth's history is Jesus Christ and the cross on which he died. All of forgiveness is based upon what Jesus did. Faith in Christ produces forgiveness of sins. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, not of works, lest any man should boast. None of us can ever get to heaven, you know, and say, well, I just managed to get enough good works in before I died. And here I am. It doesn't work that way. Sadly, this is a sad commentary on human behavior, but a man or woman could live a wicked life right up until the day they die. But if they truly repent, if they get their heart right with Jesus Christ, they repent and receive Christ into their heart. They go to heaven. Sadly, that doesn't happen very often. Usually, people live wicked lives and then die and go to hell. That's the norm. The the not normal is for people to come to their deathbed after having lived a miserable life and trusted Christ as Savior. I mean, it does happen. It does happen, but not very often. We sure wish it happened more. But, you know, even more than that, we wish people would come to know Jesus in their younger years so that they could live their whole life for God's glory rather than sort of living a whole selfish life and then trying to get forgiveness just before they die. Anyhow, we're not going to go into that theological thing today. We'll do that another day. But today we want to look at what Paul was writing here to the church. And essentially he was saying that getting involved with supporting missionaries, because that's what he was. He was a gospel preaching missionary. The church of Philippi was supporting him. It was a good work. Now we won't look there, but in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul wrote, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about born-again Christians. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. So Christian, believer in Jesus Christ, be careful you maintain good works. Because if you do things you shouldn't do, if you go places you shouldn't go and be involved with things you shouldn't be involved with, I mean, that's not going to keep you out of heaven, but it's going to prevent you from getting rewards in heaven. It's not going to make the Savior very happy. And remember that sin always has to be confessed, even for a believer. Sin that's not confessed down here in private with Jesus is going to have to be confessed up in heaven before his throne and before untold millions of people. We're far, far better off. I mean, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Like, let's be honest, there is still sin messing around with us, even as born-again Christians. But that's what confession and forgiveness is all about. Jesus will forgive the sin. Wipe it away. Again, I don't want to get into the theological side of that 
We will on another day. But today I want to focus more on, on this idea of missions and how it's going to benefit us. But it's very important that we maintain good works. Titus chapter 3 verse 8. For this is a faithful saying and these things I will that thou affirm constantly that they which have believed in God might be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable unto men. Titus chapter 3.14 says, And let ours also learn to maintain good works for necessary uses, that they be not unfruitful. And so the first thing we learn is when we get involved with faith promise and supporting good missionaries, it is a good work. So there's nothing wrong about it. You won't go wrong by getting involved in supporting good missionaries. Now, as a church, we screen the missionaries before we support them. There are a lot of missionaries around the world, and some of them are doing absolutely nothing for the cause of Christ. Some of them are on a big extended vacation. They want missionary support so they can go to some you know, South Sea island and lay on the beach and spend the rest of their life doing nothing. Well, we're, we're not about to entertain that at all. We have a huge screening process before we'll take on the support of a missionary. And we want to make sure that they're right with God, their doctrine is pure, their lives are pure, their calling is good, that they have some track record, and that they have a good sending church, and they have a good plan in mind. Maybe they're working along with a good mission board. That always helps as well. There's some accountability that way. But we want to make sure that when they get to the mission field, they're going to do the job we want them to. You see, here as a little church in Surrey, the city of Surrey, our job is to try and reach our city. And that's why on Saturdays we go out and put gospel literature in mailboxes and we'll knock on doors and invite people to church. We're trying to reach our city with the gospel. That's our job. That's why we're in business, folks, is to try and help our city come to know Christ as Savior. I was talking with Pastor Ivan yesterday after he came back and I said, how'd it go? He said, uh, well, we had a lot of uh, not interested, but everyone was very friendly. And so I, I agreed with him that, that that's very true, that th that's the norm. So many people are not interested because they're more interested in other things. They're more interested in their wealth and their jobs and their stocks and bonds. They're more interested in their careers and their futures. They're more interested in maybe partying on Friday nights and, and, and sports. They pay far, far more uh, attention and money and devotion to sports than they ever do to God. Even though many people go to places of worship, it doesn't mean that they're really interested in God. But that's the way things are. And until God sends revival on our city, it's not going to get much better. We want to keep at the job though. But we want missionaries who will do what we're doing in other parts of the world. We want them to go where we can't go. And that's what real Bible missions is all about. It's duplicating ourselves. Again, there's some leeway there, but we want to see missionaries go and winning people to Christ and starting churches. Maybe not exactly cookie cutter like us, but... We want them to start good churches where people love the Lord. That's what we're after. And these are good works. You'll never go wrong by getting involved with good Bible works. And supporting missionaries is a good Bible work. Now, if you look at verse 14, I want you to see something. Paul wrote, Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. When he says communicate with my affliction, he was in some financial straits. He was in a tough time. And the church at Philippi got together and they said, we've got to help our, our missionary. And they put together an offering and they sent it by the hands of a man named Epaphroditus. And we tend to think that Epaphroditus was probably the pastor of the church. The church commissioned him to go and to catch up with Paul and to give him this financial gift that will help him out. And so Paul wrote this letter and he said, Ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now, I'd like if you would keep your, uh, your finger there in, um, in Philippians because we'll come back. We'll come back to that. And I'd like you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. The Gospel of Matthew. Would you go there, please? Matthew and chapter 25. And this is a verse that many of you will be familiar with. You'll have heard this many times. 
the Lord Jesus gave a, an amazing parable. A parable is a, um, it's a story that it has, and it's an earthly story that has a heavenly meaning. Let's put it that way. A parable. It's designed to teach a heavenly truth. And in chapter 25, the Lord Jesus gave this story here about a, um, verse 14, the kingdom of heaven is like a, is as a man traveling to a far country. He gets his servants together. He gives them some money each. And he says, well, get busy and see what you can do with that. And of course, the first guy comes back and says, well, you gave me this much and I made this much for you. The second guy did the same thing. The third guy, well, he was a bit of a lost cause. But look, please, at verse 21. His Lord said unto him, now this is the, the first guy who was given five and he come back with five more. So here, Lord, you have ten. His Lord said unto him, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Well done. You see that? What did we just finish reading? In verse 14 of Philippians, well done. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Here the Lord Jesus in Matthew 25, 21 his Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. you see that? There's a connection there. You get involved with supporting good missionaries, and the Lord Jesus will say to you, Well done. That's something very important. Now turn back a few more pages in the Gospel of Matthew, and this should nail it, nail it home here for us. In Matthew chapter number 6, Matthew 6, again, a familiar passage, I'm sure, to everyone here. Matthew chapter 6, look at verse 19. The Lord Jesus is teaching this. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And he covered many subjects, but here's one subject he covered. Verse 19, lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And supporting gospel-preaching missionaries means that your heart is more in heaven than it is on earth. Remember, most people, they lay up their treasures on earth. That's what they do. And they grab all of the gold they can, all the gusto they can. They hoard it to themselves. That's human nature. And the Lord Jesus in this passage, is teaching us, don't be like that. Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. If I were to ask each one of you, do you expect, do you hope that you're going to be in heaven one day? You'd probably raise your hands and say, yeah, I hope I'm going to be in heaven. I expect I'm going to be in heaven. Well, if that's true, are you laying up some treasures in heaven? You say, how do we do that? You do it here on earth. You don't do it after you, you're gone. You do it now before you go. Do your given while you're living, then you're knowing where it's going. Yeah, that makes sense. And so you, you support a good work like gospel preaching missionaries and you are laying up treasures in heaven. Let's go back now to Philippians chapter number four. So point one, the first thing that faith promise, involvement with faith promise will do for you is it'll produce good works. Point number two, it bears fruit. It bears fruit. Now again, if you look at verse 17, Paul wrote, not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. Now, you might be thinking, well, what kind of fruit are we talking about? Well, the Apostle Paul told them that it wasn't for his benefit alone that he received that offering that they gave him, but it was for them as a church and also for the people within the church that got involved with that. Quite possibly, some people in the church of Philippi says, well, I'm not going to give. I'm not going to be part of that. Others in the church says, yeah, we're going to give. We're going to be part of that. And those are the ones that will produce good works. Those are the ones that will bear the fruit. Now, the fruit is souls saved. And if you know anything about our church, you know that we're always getting letters back from the mission field. From 110 missionaries they're sending us 110 letters every three months. You do the math. That's a lot of letters in one year. And most of the time, we're getting little reports of someone was saved here. Two people trusted Christ there. 
We had a meeting and five people trusted the Lord Jesus here. Someone here just before they died trusted Christ. We're getting these, these uh, news items in the letters that we're receiving. And we get hundreds and hundreds of these letters every year. And then we post those figures for you up on the screen. Every once in a while we show you. And usually we are seeing in the neighborhood of a thousand more or less people trusting Jesus Christ throughout the year as a result of the 110 missionaries that we're supporting. And so it works out to about less than, we'll say maybe nine, on average, nine souls are trusting Christ every year in some places of the world, like Africa, for example. We're getting great reports of people trusting Christ. Roman, our, our missionary that we as a church sent out, she's over in Ethiopia, She's sending back letters and giving us pictures of people uh, that are trusting Christ as Savior. She's involved with it. We're not seeing that kind of fruit here in, in Surrey, let alone in Canada. But yet, still people are being saved. People are coming to a knowledge of their sins, having separated them from God and salvation through Jesus Christ. They're learning of that. But it's so exciting. This is the fruit. You see... We have this verse up on the wall here. He that winneth souls is wise. That comes out of the Bible from the book of Proverbs. And in chapter uh, 11, verse 30, it says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. This is the fruit that comes because you support gospel preaching missionaries. In John chapter 4, and we won't turn there, the Lord Jesus had his disciples and there was this woman that came from the Samaritan city there. Uh, she came to the well, the woman at the well. She trusted Christ and got saved and went back and told her townsfolk and all these people started coming out to see Jesus. And at that moment, Jesus said to his disciples, lift up your eyes for the fields are white already unto harvest. There is fruit. That's what we're saying. The Lord Jesus used the analogy of fruit for people getting saved. It's in Proverbs, it's in John chapter 4, it's elsewhere as well. So, you see, you get involved with supporting gospel preaching missionaries and there's fruit. And here's the exciting thing. When you're supporting missionaries and a missionary halfway around the world leads someone to Jesus Christ, you see, that's big news in heaven, isn't it? The angels are rejoicing. And the records are, are recorded up in heaven, but here's something else. Part of that is going to be credited to your account in heaven because you helped support that missionary who went to that part of the world to win that person or those people to Jesus Christ. And part of it is because of you, because you helped support and make it possible for him to do that. And up in heaven, you'll be rewarded for that. But there's more rewards I want to tell you about that are for here on earth. You will get rewarded in heaven. You will, you will. But we're not there yet. So here on earth, what's going to happen? So, so far, we've seen two specific things that'll happen when you get involved with faith promise missions. Number one, it produces good works. Good works. Well done. Number two, it bears fruit. Fruit to your account, and of course, fruit to the glory of God. Obviously, God wants to see this kind of fruit. But number three is it pleases God well. This is the overall effect. God is so pleased with this when you get involved. Now look at verse 18. Paul wrote, But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. Now watch how he describes it. This is interesting. This is their financial gift that they sent. He calls it an odor of sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. That's what he calls it. When you get involved supporting missionaries, you can do it on a weekly, bi-weekly, monthly, or a one-time gift for the whole year, whatever you want to do. That's up to you, between you and God. But when you get involved and help support the missionaries, all of a sudden, it pleases God well. It pleases Him so well. Here we learn that when a missions-minded, missions-active church pleases God, 
it glorifies God. And this also shows us that when a church supports a God-called, God-sent, gospel-preaching missionary, they are supporting God's special representative on earth. Now I know that from Scripture. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul wrote, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. What's an ambassador? It's a man or woman who's commissioned and sent by one country into another country. That's an ambassador. Missionaries are Christ's ambassadors. They're God's special heroes. And when we get involved and support these amazing people, it pleases God's well. Their financial, the financial support of such a missionary is therefore a gift to God himself. When you give to support these kind of missionaries, this kind of missionary, you're actually giving a gift to God and that pleases God. And this is all in and through a local church context. We're not talking about people off to one side doing whatever. We're talking about the corporate power of the local church doing this for God. Now I want you to see something that I think is very, very interesting. You would all agree that what Jesus did on the cross was extraordinary. You would agree with that, I hope. That he did on the cross what no one else could possibly do. On the cross, he took upon himself the sin of the world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish. That means to die and go to hell. But have everlasting life. There's the gift of God. It's a gift. It's not something you work for. It's not something you purchase or buy or earn or deserve. It's, it's not a reward. It's a gift. It's totally by God's mercy that it's even available. And all we do as beggars is we hold out our hands and we receive. That's all we can do because we're beggars. We can't save ourselves. Lord Jesus, help me. I can't help myself. Save me. I can't save myself. And the Lord Jesus says, if you open your heart, I will help you. I will save you. I will cleanse you. I will fill you. It's the gift of God. Wonderful gift. No one would ever doubt the supremacy of that gift. I want to show you something that maybe you've never seen before. Keep your finger there in Philippians chapter 4 and turn back two or three pages to the book of Ephesians. That again was a, a letter written to the church at a city called Ephesus. And so that's why it's called Ephesians. But here in chapter number 5, I want you to see something. In chapter number 5 of Ephesians, Paul writes, Be ye therefore followers of God as dear children. That means we're supposed to follow God, do what he wants us to do. Verse 2, And walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us, and hath given himself for us. I think we all understand he did that on the cross. When he died for our sins, he gave himself for us. He was dead, buried, and he rose again the third day. So even, uh, uh, let's see, and hath given himself for us, watch what it says in verse 2, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. That's how the Bible describes Jesus' work on the cross. Jesus' gift of eternal life. He died for our sins. And in the, in the, in the nostrils of God the Father... It was a sweet-smelling sacrifice or savor. A sweet-smelling savor. Now, if you turn back to Philippians chapter number 4 and verse 18, you see at the end, the, the giving, the supporting of gospel-preaching missionaries is an odor, a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Listen, you don't have to be Einstein to see the connection here. What Jesus did on the cross was a sweet-smelling savor to God. When you and I support good gospel-preaching missionaries who tell the world about what Jesus did, our support of those missionaries is a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. Do you see the connection? And they have to be connected because we're talking about salvation of the lost. They obviously, you can't be saved without the Savior. And what's a Savior? without a sinner that he can save. They're connected. They're absolutely connected. When you get involved in supporting good gospel preaching missionaries, what you're getting involved with 
is you're producing a sweet smell, a sacrifice well-pleasing to God. You see, that's, we just get that from the Scriptures. Are you beginning to see that there's more to this than just what meets the eye? There's some depth to getting involved. That's why these meetings are some of the most important that we'll ever have throughout the year. That's why I encourage you, come on Wednesday. You're going to learn more. And on Thursday, you'll learn even more. And you have to learn more if you want to produce more. That's just the way it is. And so here we have Christ's one-time sacrifice on the cross and the supporting of missionaries, gospel-preaching missionaries, connected as a sweet smell in the nostrils of God. That's good to know. Giving to missions fills heaven with its strong fragrance and aroma. And it perpetuates the good news, the truth, the knowledge, the power of sins forgiven. Deliverance from hell. The gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ. It pleases the Father well. Well, we need to hurry on to the fourth specific thing that missions will do for you if you get involved. Now, we've told you number one. What's number one? It's what? Good, good works. That's right. It's a good work. Number two, it what? Bears fruit. There are souls that are going to be saved and part of that's going to be credited to your account. Number three is what? It's a sweet smell. It's a wonderful, pleasing thing. But number four, and I want you to be very careful with this one. But number four is found back in Philippians chapter four. It's in verse number 19. It blesses us materially. It blesses us materially. Now, I I just hasten to add a word of caution. These days with Kenneth Copeland and Benny Hinn and all the prosperity guys and even that fellow with the wavy hair down in Texas, uh, they're all kind of pushing a similar agenda. They're prosperity gospel people. We don't, we don't adhere to that. We don't see the, the biblical basis of that. I know they take a verse out of context here and they take a verse there. But you can't do that with the Word of God. You have to look at it in its context. Only then do you understand. And so here at verse 19 is a promise God makes to churches and Christians within the church that get involved with supporting missions by faith. And you do it by faith. That's how you do it. Don't think that this is any way in which you can become rich or wealthy. That's not the idea. What verse 19 is, it's a guarantee of financial safety. Because these Christians at Philippi, they gave by faith. And some of them were saying, well, what's going to happen to us now? Have we cut ourselves off at the knees? The old devil, you know, when you do something good for God, the old devil's there to whisper in your ear, You're toast now, buddy. You've had it. You've gone over the cliff. You're never going to recover from this one. It's it's his old song and dance, and he uses it on everyone over the thousands of years that people have been on the earth. It's nothing new, but it's a trick of the devil. And these people were wondering, well, what's going to happen to us? And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle Paul wrote verse 19. I want you to read this verse out loud with me, every one of us. Out loud with me. Verse 19. Here we go all together. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. Now I want you to notice one word which is not there. It says, my God shall supply all your... What's that word? Need. Not greed. It's need. He'll supply all your needs. You will never go hungry. You will never go, let's say, broke. You will always be able to pay your bills. That's a financial safety net. God is not promising to make anyone a millionaire. We're not into this prosperity gospel stuff. This is an honest-to-goodness, legitimate promise from God in heaven to any Christian who will get involved with the supporting of the right kind of missionary, a gospel preaching missionary. This is very, very important. This tells us that giving to missions releases God's financial and material blessings and spiritual blessings upon the church and upon the members within the church that get involved. Now, I'd like if you would keep your finger there. 
that handy old finger, keep it there. And I want you to turn back to the Old Testament, the book of Malachi. This goes hand in hand with what we just said. So the book of Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament. So if you don't know where that is, go to the first book of the New Testament, which is Matthew, and look to the left one page, and you will have found Malachi. Same God, same Bible, and God makes this promise to his people. And of course, it starts really in verse 8. God says, chapter 3, verse 8 of Malachi, Will a man rob God? Can you imagine such an absurd thought? Yet ye have robbed me, God is saying, ye have robbed me, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? In tithes and offerings. There's two different things. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. That's a sad commentary on God's people. But at that time, this was somewhere around 400 BC, something like that. The people of God have been robbing God by keeping back tithes and offerings. So God says in verse 10, Bring ye all the tithes. Interesting, he doesn't say offerings. He just says tithes. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me now, herewith saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. This is God's promise. Some people say, well, tithing, that's just Old Testament. You know, we're in the New Testament now. My friend, Jesus spoke about tithing. And in the New Testament, it also says in the book of Hebrews that Jesus is still receiving tithes. Tithing is still good a good promise of God today as it ever was. I have personally proved it. Uh, in about a month, it'll be 49 years since I started tithing. That was before I became a born-again Christian. And I found that God was blessing me. Before I became saved, I started tithing because I found it in the Bible. And I says, well, if God says it, I'm going to do it. And I did it. And God opened the doors for me. And all of a sudden, I had work. I had cash flow. He started blessing me. I've been watching God over the last 49 years and he has never broken that promise. Never, not once. He has blessed me far beyond what I deserve to be blessed. I'm not a millionaire. In fact, I have no interest in it. It'll get my eyes off God. God meets my needs. I'm so grateful. I live debt free. I'm so thankful to God. Tithing. Tithing still works. It's interesting in verse 8 that God talked about tithes and offering. In today's context, I'd like to suggest to you that tithing is something that we should still do. And I challenge you to the tithing challenge. Try it for one month. Bring your tithes in and see what God does. Well, Pastor, what if I go broke? I'll help you out. How about that? I've made that promise to the odd Christian down through the years. Will you try it? And if you go broke, I'll, I'll be your safety net. I've never had to be anyone's safety net. Because I've noticed that when they started tithing, God did for them what he's done for me. And he started looking after them financially. But this promise of God is still true today. Hey, I've even seen websites where some well-intentioned but misguided Christians are saying, if you tithe, it's sinful. You are sinning against God if you tithe. They haven't the foggiest idea of what the Bible really says about tithing. They've just got preconceived notions and they've spit all this stuff out on the internet. Be careful of what you read and believe on the internet because it's not all biblical. God's promise is still true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, verse 2, the church is called the store. And God's promise is bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be meat in my house. Your tithes, you get direct benefit of your tithes in this beautifully climate-controlled, comfortable auditorium and all of the ministries that we do for you. And there's a lot we do all through the year for you. This is a result of the tithes. You get direct benefit. But when you give a faith promise offering to support missions, that's when you really please God. 
That's when God will do some extra things for you, but your big payoff for you and for me is going to come when we get home to heaven. You know, we won't, we won't turn there. We don't have time. But in Genesis chapter 18, God came to visit Abraham. Abraham said, wait, wait until I can fetch a little morsel of meat. And he went and prepared a huge dinner, a big meal for there was God and two others with him. You can read it in Genesis 18. And it was right after Abraham did that, made this gift to God, that God said, where is your wife, Sarah? About this time next year, she's going to have a child. That's what they wanted all their lives. God gave it to them. After Abraham, by faith, gave to God. It's the principle, and it's always the same. And if you look back at Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, this is God's promise. My God shall supply all your need, that's your financial material needs, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. And how rich is God? How rich is God? Is there any end to his wealth? If, if I came to you and said, well, how rich are you? You'd say, well, let me check. And you'd look in your wallet. You know, well, there's this. You might look in your bank account. Well, there's that. You might look at some of your assets and liquefy them into cash. But there would come a point where you'd say, well, I am worth this many dollars. Well, how can you do that with Almighty God? There's no end to his wealth. It never ends. It never ends. That's why God can give and 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 still not be one penny poorer than when he first began. Because there's no end to the wealth that God has. You see, what we see here in verse number 19 is we see the supply house with God. God is the owner. And God's net worth is, it doesn't say it, it, it's not out of. You see, look at verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need out of. It doesn't say that. It says according to. If it was out of, then he would be a little more broke and a little less wealthy and a little less and a little, every time he gave. But it's according to. That means it's boundless. There's no end to God's wealth. That's exciting. You see, we learn in Psalm 50, verse 10, God says, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know of the fowls of the mountains, the wild beasts are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. God owns everything. Did you know that there's estimated to be around $500 trillion worth of wealth in the world? That's the estimate of the entire world's wealth. Who knows if it's accurate or not, but that's just figures I've read. 500 trillion. Did you know that 1% of the world's population controls 50% of the world's wealth? Did you know that? 1% controls $250 trillion. But I'll tell you something else. God controls the 1% of the population. God is sovereign and he controls that 1%. In the book of Haggai, chapter 2 and verse 8, God says, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. In ancient Egypt, Pharaoh was the owner of the storehouse, but Joseph, the son of, son of uh, Jacob, Joseph was the overseer. And when Joseph's brothers came to see him with their empty sacks, Joseph made sure that they went home with full sacks of food. And God's storehouse in heaven is inexhaustible, infinite, unlimited, never-ending, bottomless, and boundless. That's the wealth that God has. What a great promise here in verse 19. Given from God to His tithing, missionary-supporting, missions-minded, active local church people. You do not want to miss the flow of God's blessings in your life. You want to become involved. Therefore, every year our church needs to be reminded of the basic guidelines so that we are able to carry out our faith promise for missions and have a conference to the glory of God. Doing this, doing what we're doing, is what helps keep our church spiritually alive and passionately involved in missions. And thus, God's blessings continue to flow on the church and on the members involved. It keeps the faucet open the faucet of God's material, financial, and spiritual blessings flowing all year long. 
And so there are at least four specific things that faith promise will do for you. But there's one last biblical guideline, and I want to leave this with you. If you would kindly turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. If you're in Philippians, turn to the left. Don't go too far. You'll find 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. Chapter 8 is a great chapter on faith promise. And this Wednesday night, we will start to explore that. Dr. Rick Adams is going to take us by the hand and lead us into some incredible truth. In chapter 8, verse 1, Paul writes, Moreover, brethren, now he's talking to the church at Corinth. Moreover, brethren, we do you to wit of the grace of God bestowed on the churches of Macedonia. So what Paul is saying is we want you to know this. We want you to wake up, smell the roses, smell a coffee. We want you to know this. The grace of God that was poured on the churches in the area called Macedonia. There was a number of Bible-believing churches. Paul had started those churches. We want you to see what God's doing for those churches. That's what he's saying. And so he gets down to verse 5 here. And he's talking about them, about giving beyond their power. In verse 3, they were able to support missionaries beyond their power. Churches can do more than what they realize but in verse 5 he says, And this they did, not as we hoped for, not as, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord. And this is the key. This is what you need to do today. Don't wait till Wednesday. Start today. This is it here. Just as the people in the churches of Macedonia gave themselves to God first. That's what we need to do. This is all in the context of supporting missions. And this they did, not as we hoped, but first gave their own selves to the Lord and unto us. Those are the missionaries, Paul and his company, by the will of God. So here's the first thing that needs to be done, is we need to give ourselves afresh to the Lord. Now some of you here may say, well, I did that last year at last year's missions conference. Folks, that was last year's missions conference. This is a new missions conference, and we need to do it again. If I ever only told my wife I love you on the day we got married and I never told her again after that, what kind of a guy would I be? She likes it when I tell her I love you. She loves to hear those words. And so I score points every time I say to my wife, I love you. She'll say, I love you. I say, I love you more. And all that's good and healthy, right? And this is very healthy too, that we give ourselves afresh to God. This is the very first thing. Verse 5 here, I think is the secret of proper giving to God. Otherwise, if we don't do that, then we're prone to do it selfishly. We're prone to do it in the strength of the flesh and the thinking of the mind instead of the will of God. And so that's what we need to do. I hope that God has touched your heart today. That you're beginning maybe to see that there is a whole new world that we can explore. It's beneath the ice but we can get there by faith and we can explore the beautiful valleys and the, the high mountains, so to speak. There's a whole world of exciting Christian living that we can get to by faith, getting involved with supporting missionaries. Would you bow your head and close your eyes? Time for us to pray. Thank you for watching the message today. We invite you to join us again every Sunday and Wednesday for more inspiring messages from God's Word.